0: The DadBod Project is here to help, educate and inspire Aussie blokes to reclaim their physical and mental strength. This episode of the DadBod Project podcast features audio from the All Fun and Games YouTube series, where we get a well-known personality from sports or entertainment, play an old-fashioned board game and have a good old-fashioned yak. Some of the stuff we talk about is around the Bod pillars of diet training and mental health and some of the stories are just enlightening or entertaining or just downright piss funny. This is the DadBod Project podcast. This is the DadBod Project. The DadBod Project. Project. Today's chat is with Aussie rock and roll icon Chris Cheney from The Living End and we discuss the male sense of identity, whether rock and roll is still alive and how hard it can be to stay off the piss. This is the DadBod Project
1: podcast. Chris Cheney from The Living End, welcome to All Fun and Games mate, how are you going? Thank you, nice to be here. What a novel concept to do an interview and have cameras and be doing this uh, this Just thing again. Just leaving the house mate. I know. Yeah. I know. You're,
0: uh, when's the last time you played Pac-Man?
1: The last time I played Pac-Man was probably Club Yarrawonga in uh, 1986 I reckon. There you go. But now I bought my daughter one of those small kind of little arcade kind of mm. game things like a little toy. Yeah. And um, we played on that. Was does a it play that little tune
0: ago. at the start that you know does it still do that? It does I yeah. Yeah. I played
1: that when I was in But yes I played I played a fair amount of Pac-Man back in the day. But um, yes, it's been a while, so I don't know how good I'm gonna be. Oh, well you know, no pressure, mate. I
0: uh, Oh, I think I'm first. Oh yep. How many uh, how many times have you played Prisoner of Society, you reckon?
1: Um, have you counted
0: the number of gigs you've done?
1: Probably about a probably about a million. Uh I don't know. People Do you uh, still love playing it? I do, I do. I mean that's the done. Yeah, you know, people always ask do you, do you Oh God, hang on a second. Not even a rehearsal. Um, done. it's a funny thing, people always ask expecting us to like, say, Oh I'm sick of that song, I never want to play it ever again. Yeah. But when when we do play it, we launch into it at a gig, the whole place erupts. Yeah, no doubt. And it lifts the roof off. And this how, is way harder than I thought this was that? gonna be. Yeah, much yeah
0: well that's a, what a great thing to say. You know, how many gigs? Do you know how many gigs roughly you've done, and how many times you've played it? Some players count their gigs.
1: Yeah, I I knew in about 1999. Okay. Because we spent pretty much like two years day. straight on the road at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we did we did like 400 shows in you know a year and a half or something. It was just some monumental amount. Um. A little quieter
0: these days. Well, maybe in the last little bit. And so that's another, I mean, that's the thing. So lockdown is a bit shit for, you know, those of us that might want to, you know, do a gig or something.
1: So what have you, what have you done? You know, I've had a a crazy journey because I was on tour here at the beginning of 2020. Mm. And when I say here, I mean in Australia, because I was living in Los Angeles at that point. You know I can't concentrate and play pac-man at the same
0: time. It's just the point to try and make you lose. Yeah you're doing a good job.
1: So I flew home when the virus kind of the pandemic hit and and all that and everyone went into a panic so I flew back to Los Angeles and because of the lockdown because of the the panic that was surrounding the entire universe at that point we packed up and relocated back to Australia. Yep did the quarantine, the whole, the whole bit. It was an epic journey. Yeah. Um, and, but the good thing about it was then we moved back to Melbourne and bought a house and I had a garage. So I set that up as a studio. So what I've done over the last, how many months, 18 months or something since 21, then? 21 I think. Yes, yeah, something one, like that. Yeah. Was I finished, I ended up writing a whole bunch of New songs for my solo record, which I'd been working on, which I thought was finished at that point, but I had all this time on my hands, so I wrote a whole bunch of extra songs that have made the album. Yep. And um, picked up a paintbrush for the first time since yes. I was a kid. Uh, bought a motorcycle. Okay. Um, you know, I, I've I've I have actually haven't minded it. I'm a bit it's starting to wear thin now. Yes. But for the first few months, we just moved into a new house, I was writing lots of music, I was yeah. painting, being really creative. So I actually didn't mind it because it was the first time that I'd been home in like 20 years without having to get the suitcase out and throw my clothes back into it again, yeah. ready to take off in, you know, in another couple of days. Cause yeah. I was only ever home for a few days here and there. So wow. it was a bit of a sort of breath of fresh air. Reintroduce yourself to your family again. It but, was, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, My kids had never known me to be home for that long. Yeah. So it's, it put a real test on the relationship yeah. and we survived. Well, yeah. So a couple of things, because the art,
0: the art is good. Thank you. And, I've, and, the, and the reason I say that with a sense of surprise, because a lot of rock stars go through their art phase and there's some of that stuff that if my kids brought it home from school, you wouldn't put it on the fridge. But sure. You so, so you were saying basically, this is not something that was always there, it's something that you've...
1: No, it's something that was always there, but it's, I mean, I'd go so far as to say that drawing and, and doing art was my first love before I picked up a guitar. Okay. As a kid, that's all I did was just a piece of paper, coloured yeah. pencils, and I drew all the time. But at some point, I stopped doing that, I guess, because the band took off. We were always touring, and I just kind of yeah. let it go. So I've reconnected with it Yeah. in a way, and I'm just loving it because I'd never really done painting before. I'd always just done drawings and kind of more graphic design stuff so this was the first time that I kind of picked up a paintbrush yep and you know I mean there's just there's no rules with it a good thing about painting is you can you can paint something and if you don't like it well you just paint over it and redo that bit and and I've done that several times on the paintings right you know there's uh you know, you can just keep drafting and drafting. It, it, it's a bit like songwriting, I suppose, you know, you're just kind of experimenting and trying different styles out and seeing what works and what misses. Yeah, and
0: I'm guessing those songs still have a structure, don't they? You still want to chorus in sometime in by a certain time or, you know, you're bound by, I don't know, whether you're bound by more rules when you're trying to write a song than do a painting. Well,
1: know. yeah, I mean, you kind of... I, I guess as far as within the the thing about the painting was the first couple that I did were very kind of realism like trying to get every stroke perfectly and then I kind of re, you know then you sort of dive deeper into the the art scene and there's all the, there's the abstract stuff there's like collages there's all these different types of medium so it's like oh okay well, what kind of painter do I want to be yeah you want to sort of do something that's sort of comes naturally but at the same time you want to push yourself into different areas and that's the same as songwriting you know you can you want to be able to absorb different influences and throw them into the mix and hopefully come out with something that's fresh and new and and unique and has your own stamp on it so that's what I've been kind of exploring but because there's been no gigs I really haven't been playing guitar at all they're kind of gathering dust in the corner and I've just been painting yeah are you selling the art I, I I plan to at I some point. I might commission a
0: piece. Yeah, I think you should. If you're, like a big Pac-Man. Do, do, do you do a discount for, you know, unemployed singers who never yeah, made it, <laughs> you, you know? I'm sure we Is can. that like 20% or something? We can arrange something. <laughs> this is The Dad Bod Project. The big one though, so you've got you've done a solo record and you've yep. completed it today. Today. Today's the day.
1: So this is a big, that's pretty enormous. Well, it's a big day overall, isn't it? Freedom Friday in Melbourne. Yeah. Well, as sort of, as out out of freedom house. as it is, but yes. Yeah. Kids are going back to school. I'm here doing an interview, um, and my record is being mastered as we speak. Finally, after a number of years, and, and again, just an epic journey. And it began in Nashville in 2016, I think. Wow. And then it was some of it was recorded in in Los Angeles, and then, as I said, some of it was done here in Melbourne, yeah. uh, and it's. I've had moments where I didn't think that it would probably ever see the light of the day, because if you kind of if you tinker with something for for that long, mm. and and you just don't sort of put it out, you it, just sort of it tends to it become it stale. And, yeah. yeah. But the great thing about the record is I thought it was done when we moved back to Melbourne and ended up writing, you know, three or four of probably the best songs on the record. So, is it hard Living End in style? Is it is it different? Uh, no, no, it's not. It's, um, you know, the first song, for example, is just piano and guitar and vocal. Okay. Um, and there's probably three or four kind of acoustic kind of um, very stripped-back songs. And the rest of the songs, you know, were done in Nashville with like Pedal Steel and a, a country band there. Wow. Um, okay. But it's it's very kind of rootsy in a way. But... You know, I've always written songs that haven't necessarily fit what The Living End does. Yes. So this was a great opportunity to to really, um, yes, to step away from it and and not, not be bound by what what we generally do.
0: Yes, because what you do is very clear. And this is a um, probably one of the hallmarks of a lot of great bands is like, this is their product. This is what it is. Yep. And, you know, so it was very clear what The Living End was from the beginning and is still like that now, which is, yeah. you know, it, was there ever a plan or a concept or were you like the rest of us
1: who just said oh I'm going to get in a band with me mates and see what happens? Uh, yeah the, there, there was a plan initially as far as the look and sound of the band. We wanted to create something that w- that we didn't have. There wasn't a band you know I think every band starts out like that. They try yeah. and form the band that they do Most don't, don't have. pull it off though. No well I, I always felt like you know that mixture of that that 50s rockabilly kind of energy and, you know, kind of stinging guitar playing and the double bass mixed with, you know, the punk rock kind of energy and combining those two looks together visually would work. But I also wanted to have songs that were catchy, pop songs with, you know, gigantic hooks. It wasn't about just, you know, Brash kind of punk energy and guitar solos. It had, they had to be really good songs. So I kind of have this vision, you know, of that's how you want the band to be, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to pull it off. And, mm. I, and I'm, you know, I'm really thankful that, that we've carved out this kind of career that we have. Mm. But um, I'd say it's probably more, more calculated than, than people w- would, you know. Yeah. It, it didn't just occur, it was like, it was sort of sitting down thinking about it and how to mesh these influences together and for it to be, you know, something special. And, and you know, and 2,000 gigs under our belt. I mean, that's, that's yes. really, at the end of the day, that's what won people over, was us playing live. Then we got on the radio. Yes, which is the old school
0: way, and that's why that's, probably the next question's pretty apt then, in that, and we had this conversation with Tim Rogers about, you know, how the, the nature of the industry has changed and, you know, your opportunities to do a lot of gigs and get good and be exposed. If The Living End started now, do you reckon you'd have the same chance of success?
1: Probably not, hmm. because we came from a very blue collar kind of you know, work ethic, making our own um, posters and flyers and sticking them on windscreens in car parks at, you know, at midnight with all the people that were in the pubs and you know, advertising that we were playing the following weekend at the Tote. Yeah. Thinking that people would get this flyer of this band, okay. <laughs> they had no idea, it was, oh we'll go and see them next week. Maybe they did. The idea of, now it's the social media kind of tool, and you have to be really savvy to try and, you know, to get a foot in the door. I don't know whether we would, would, would have as much of a chance. Mm. Maybe we would because we'd be, we'd be more educated to, to go down that route. But yes. I just think with us it was, uh, you know, getting the Kingswood, play anywhere, anytime, to anyone. Yes. and Knock their socks off, and then we had like a you know a little piece of paper at the front door, and people would come in. You could go on the on the living end mailing list. Right. So we built up this mailing they just list. Just invented of, email. <laughs> What's that? They just invented email yes, at the time. Yes. 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 That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had this few hundred people on this this database that you know. And, and at first it was The Runaway Boys, it wasn't The Living End, it was we were a, like a 50s cover band and we started incorporating a few songs that we'd written and what happened then was a lot of people who, who had been coming to the ba- see the band, we said we're gonna play one that we wrote now and people oh. would go ah oh, forget it, I, yeah, <laughs> I want to yeah. hear your songs, I want to hear the covers so that was another like little transition of changing the name to The Living End becoming an original band and seeing Because we were doing pretty good as a cover band. We were, you know, playing a lot of shows, earning okay money. And then I was like, but we don't want to be a cover band. We want to be on Triple J. That was the... Yes, that was certainly the penultimate then. But that's a fork in the
0: road for a lot of artists, particularly that time, because there were a lot of cats that weren't that great that were getting six shows a week and earning pretty reasonable money and not having to have a job. And... You know, so you've got that, a lot of us... So I certainly had a fork in the road moment where it's like, well, am I going to do original stuff or not? Because I'm going to leave away a pretty cushy life yep. to try that. So, you know, so it takes a bit of guts as it, well. It does. I mean,
1: the cover band scene is... It, it can be... In, especially back then, it was incredibly lucrative. Yeah. Your Captain Spauldings and all those guys were yeah. playing, you know, eight days a week. Yep. And earning really good money. Tommy but, was about but 150 wanted, then. But yeah. hello, Tom, if you're watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we didn't want that. We wanted to be... The living end. We wanted to be this this as, as we were saying before, we had this whole vision of the kind of band we wanted to be and and, and you know, we, we kinda I feel like every dream that Scott and I had as little kids yeah. on our skateboards of forming a band came true kind of tenfold, you know. It How was great. Became bigger than what we ever thought. We just wanted to get on Triple J and play the Espy. Yeah. And we did. And you fucking did it. <laughs>
0: and we did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you'll put out another record and do the same thing again. We just
1: kept doing the same thing, yeah. Yeah. Don't and play stop. slightly bigger gigs than the SB. Slightly bigger gigs.
0: And, and slightly in some other cities besides Melbourne. But that's right. So, yeah, it's just interesting. I just wonder whether to the point that rock and roll, whether that's still a viable proposition or not, you know. If I decide I'm going to start a rock band, whether whether yeah. that's a pursuit that... It was never easy.
1: Well, I it think it's probably come it. full circle now where I Has think it? I think it's back to the DIY thing. I think there's a great kind of punk rock mentality out there. Yeah. and A lot of bands are, are now doing that again. You oh. know, people are kind of sick of the, the social media kind of onslaught. I think yeah. they're now, um, you know, it's not about just how many followers you have and, and, and your profile picture and, all, and any of that junk. It's about, you know... These kick-ass kind of rock and roll bands, that people are going out and seeing, who are now doing their own t-shirts again and doing yes. their own art and all that sort of stuff, which is cool. Yeah, because that's real. I just don't know whether
0: it... I might just join your band instead of start a sure. start another one. Yeah. Sure. Same well, thing, even name, I suppose. You guitar, know. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just okay. or what, wherever you can fit me in, mate. Right. That's fine. Right. Yeah. So look, I've got a painting out of today, and I've joined the Living End, so things so. are, you know, this is this is worthwhile. Okay. Um, the just the, the, you've been around long enough now to have a, you've got a genuine catalogue. You know, it's mean, 23 years since the first record? Yeah. Something like that, I noticed that on your Insta. Yeah. So, do you look, is there anything that you look back on that that's a particularly complete record? Or even a song, is there a song you look back and go, oh, I fucking nailed that, that is just, that is terrific. That's a rip snorter. Do you listen to your own stuff? No, Are you, is God, there any? No. You don't?
1: No. It's very difficult. Why? Because you just pick it to pieces. Right. W- You'd do done that, that anyway. Differently. I mean, you... Wouldn't have played that. Shouldn't have played that note. What did he play that fill for? <laughs> it's just yes. you can't listen to it. Right. Um, even though it was, it was a, it's a, it's a product of its time and a, and a, and, a, and a, of its moment. I have a really difficult time listening to it. Okay. I'm immensely proud of what we've done. Yeah. But don't sit me down and put one of our albums on okay so you know just whacking the Discman on and listening to I Second know Solution I don't people or? who do to be honest with you but yeah uh, which is weird because you know you bleed for these songs when you're writing them and rehearsing them and, and yeah. then the recording process and um, you know you're aiming to get it to a point for us anyway where we like it we're not sort of thinking oh yeah this is going to sell oh this will get on the radio it's like I like this song. I love what we've done to it. We've nailed the arrangement. Love that harmony there. But then, a few years down the track, the last thing you want to do is sit down and listen to it. Yes. Yeah. So it's, you
0: just—I mean, like—I mean, you've closed the book on a record as of today. Mm-hmm. You'll probably do the same thing then, will you? Where you just go, well, that's yeah, once, that. Once. That's that, for better or worse. There it is. Yeah. And on we go. Are you still making a record in the same way or with the same? Thought process. And like I asked, the reason I asked that, we had this conversation with Joe Camilleri in the previous episode, and he's seen a lot of stuff come and go in terms of um, the nature in which music is consumed. If when you're making this record that you finished today, are you, are you, is that in your mind in terms of how this is going to be consumed? You know, or are you just doing it the way you always did it? So I'm going to make a record, that's what I do.
1: Uh, no, there was, a, there was definitely a conscious decision with this album that I wanted to surprise a few people because I think people see me and perceive me as the living end guy and it's singer, guitarist, and there's a lot of energy on stage and there's a lot of kind of, you know, all the acrobatics and stuff <laughs> climbing on the bass and all that sort of thing. So I wanted to strip all that away, yeah. which is why the first track is just piano and a tiny bit of guitar and to show the other things, the other influences that I have and you know, and I'm proud that I can do these other things and you kinda wanna show that off. You wanna show that there's, an, there's a whole nother side. Yep. So I, you know, I am thinking about how it's gonna be perceived and I think um, the, the, what, what I shouldn't do is release an album that sounds like the living end but it's just me kind of pretending to still be that. Yeah. It should be completely different. Yes otherwise what's the point otherwise what's the point yeah so I think it I think it's going to surprise a few people and um, it's going to, you know sort of ter- turn a few heads as in the sense that yeah it's um I've sort of you know I've really tried to a- outdo myself with I've written hundreds of songs for the album and and scrapped so many of them and you know just searching to, to get it right and to get it to that point and uh, it hasn't been an easy road but no. that's what you do it for you know you well yeah, it's what you sign up for yeah and if it was easy everyone would be doing it right yeah I and mean,
0: it's the same with any of that stuff yeah I want to ask you this one because it's um you're a good one is again it's a conversation we've had a number of times on this platform and in dressing rooms wherever else but the the nature of Australian crowds and you're a good one asked this too because you've the living end have you've created an international footprint whether it's possible in a paragraph or two to how are Australian crowds different from those overseas? And have Australian crowds changed
1: in the time that you've been doing it, do you reckon? Probably more fights in, are there? in the audience of Australian crowds. Wow. Well, I don't know, maybe it's just that we did this tour called the, uh, the Red Hot Summer, which is great yes. and we're doing it again this year and, and, and yeah, it's sort of, I guess it's seen as a slightly older kind of demographic to Laneway Festival or something. Yes. And you think it's going to be all mellow, but there's been a couple of um, dust-ups at around have 6.30 there? p.m. when we're on stage. People are out in the sun all day and, you know, just drinking white wine. a couple of cougars, wine. haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it doesn't really answer your question, though, does it? Well, well um, it might not be something you've well, noticed, but oh, it's just well, something we, that comes up. The thing it? that we notice more than anything is that we, we have a, a career and a catalogue that's very well known here. Yeah. That's not so well known when we when we play in Berlin or something. So they yeah. react to different songs, right? They don't react to as many. Whereas here we're really lucky that we've had the amount of songs that we've had played on the radio and people, yeah, you know, they know them. Um, so it's just it's kind of yeah, it's not wildly different, you know, in in other territories, but th- there there definitely is um, yeah there there is a difference, and people here tend to be the Tends to be the rowdiest for that reason. Right. Yeah. Okay. What about the the
0: voice and the singing competitions on TV? Is that a is that a good thing?
1: Oh, you know, I, I would encourage anyone, like we were saying earlier, to bypass that and uh, and do it the old school way. Build build a crowd. Get out there, play a hundred gigs or more. Yes. Build a following a loyal following that are going to stick with you, work on your craft. Yes. You know, I mean, just winning the competition and all the glitz and glamour and the TV and all that sort of stuff, and it lasts about a minute. Yes. You know, I don't even think it's 15 minutes anymore. No, no. So I would just say it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, people think that that's going to, that they've made it. Mm. And, and I think it's... Um, yeah, it's really confusing for, for a lot of people, so, but that's, you know, that's my opinion and other people would say, well I don't want to do a thousand gigs and drive up mm. and down the Hume Highway like you did. If I can just go straight to Channel 7 and get on a talent show and get yeah. signed, but uh, it's very difficult to make it last. Yes, that said, it's also
0: difficult to do, um, even the bands that want to do a thousand gigs now. It's having that opportunity and that's I guess comes back to what we're talking about in the mid 90s. It was easier to do. There were gigs on a Tuesday night and people would come to them. That's right. Yeah, Yeah. and that's I think the challenge, the real challenge for this industry is that promising 22 year old kids can play 300 gigs to make their band better or make themselves better as players. And that's the, you know, that's the the changing nature of, you know,
1: of the industry in this country. I mean, the opportunities back then were just everywhere. Yeah. There was a lot of bands. Yes. And I can remember, you know, just going to see bands play and stuff and and being kind of, you know, jealous because they were, you know, they were playing to a room full of people and they had a song on Triple J. Yeah. um, You know, but but yes, you could go any night of the week to a number of different venues that are unfortunately, you know, a lot of them are gone and same with the festivals you know there was just more more opportunities and more festivals around at that point Mm. too and uh, and there was a really good kind of mixture of people seemed to be more open to uh, you know bands that were throwing all different influences together like regurgitator and spider bait and front end loader and I feel like they were really unique bands that were quintessentially Australian. Yes. And we were influenced by that too, you know, because as we were saying, you know, we had this idea that we were going to mix a bit of that band, a bit of that band, you know, we're going to have pop choruses and everything that probably shouldn't go together sometimes, you know, was that, that punk rock kind of mentality and energy, but with like some pretty harmonies over the top, you know, but somehow kind of managed to make it work. But but I think yeah, it was it was a great time in in the late 90s there, where there was a, a really unique kind of sound and look to a lot of a lot of the bands.
0: The Dadball Project is here to help educate and inspire Aussie blokes to reclaim their physical and mental strength. If we can just ask you about the. We were talking off air about the Dadboard Project and the work we're doing with that and men's mental health and how a lot of the stuff we do, particularly with AFL, but even a lot of the musicians we deal with, men's mental health comes into our conversation a lot now, which is certainly not a bad thing. Lockdown has hurt a lot of musos. Is that something that, you know, that I guess came across your desk in terms For of sure. what you're having to deal with?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, apart from, you know, those those first few months of the lockdown where I Unpacked. Where I unpacked, yeah. Tried to work out, you know, <laughs> yeah. where the tongs were. Yeah. Um, where I started doing a few different things and really, really enjoying being home. After a while of, you know, constantly getting those emails, that gig's cancelled, that gig's cancelled yeah. and thinking, okay, That gig's cancelled again. Yeah. That I rescheduled Sort of thinking, oh, this thing's not going to go away anytime soon, mm. unfortunately it's pretty safe to say that the music industry and the arts are going to be right at the back of the queue. Yeah. As they still are now. As they still are now. I I began to have a few moments of kind of feeling a bit lost, feeling like looking at my guitars and kind of going, it really is starting to feel like something that I used to do. Yeah. Uh, Playing on stage and, you know, or someone would post, you know, someone posts a, a video or a photo and they tag you in it. And I'd look at it and go, I don't even remember doing that. Like, that just feels like a different person. Yeah. You well, know, some festival in Japan or something. And I think, God, that, it's like light years away now. Yeah. And it's very easy to start getting depressed about it and, and to start feeling yeah. like, if I'm not that guy, who the bloody hell am I? Yeah. You know, it's all, he's the only guy that I've known for 25 years. Yes. It's all I've done is. And is that your friends know a, and that your family know
0: that's, yeah. that's who you are to them as well. That's right. Yeah. And that's the massive thing. We have that conversation a lot around, particularly for blokes who were, and this was even more so, who you are is what you do. And we still battle with that, I think, a lot. And I think a lot of musos absolutely had that. So that's why it's wonderful to hear someone like yourself say that is because it's like, well, what is my sense of identity? What am I going to do if I'm not going to do this? You know, am I still that guy? You know and then the challenge of reinventing yourself if you have to because that's hard at any time but for blokes in their 40s where they yeah. have to go right i'm it, it requires a lot of psychological energy to get out of bed and go right i'm now i'm also going to be this guy in addition or this you know that's they're not easy things to do they're
1: not and and, and, and you know some people will say oh, oh you're in a band how long have you been in the band for right, so I've got, <laughs> yes. since i was about seven yeah you know i don't I don't know how to do anything else. Yeah. So the idea of having to maybe get a different job. Yeah. I'm bloody useless. I, yes. I wouldn't know what I would do.
0: Yeah. I'm, I feel like that. I'm a, I am unemployable doing anything else. That's why we're doing the show. I mean, what else am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I totally get it.
1: Yeah. Well, you're pretty good on Pac-Man. Oh, I'm, Not I'm, great. I'm, I'm working on it. Oh, I think I won, didn't I? Yeah, you won, but it's because I lost. <laughs>
0: We're going to do this one more time. We're going to go time. again. Okay. Yeah, we'll do this one more time, and yep. we'll um, we'll decide once and for all, Chris, who's king of Pac-Man.
1: You know who's been great on all that sort of front, with me, uh, particularly with men and talking about things and, and the mental the mental issues. Is Jimmy Barnes, right? And okay. he, um, you know, because we sort of all think of Jimmy as being this, you know, this tough yes. boy from Glasgow, drinking, who sorts bottles everything of vodka out. and That's right. You sort it out with your fists. And he's yeah. turned this whole sort of corner and I remember seeing him do his spoken word tour a couple of years ago. And he, you know, when he was writing his books and going through all that whole journey. Yeah. And he made a real point then of saying, you know, it's so important to be aware of it and to talk about it. And it's okay. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Don't make me talk. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, to, to, it's okay to sort of talk about that stuff. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's obviously an issue in Australia blokes don't want to talk about stuff. Still. Still? Yeah. So
0: that's why if someone like you can talk to someone like me or whoever it is, then, then it's important. Disp- even with the distraction of an arcade game that we haven't played I know, since we were 12. I think your joystick's a little sticky. Don't I give think us, I'm don't, maybe using the wrong hand. Us, don't give us excuses. I'm using
1: please. the wrong hand. I figured it out what have you got what are you story
0: of my life okay <laughs> yes oh, I think I'm up by a thousand points here okay. just I okay. mean just you know it's not a competition okay. but just so you know this is my dream is to get one of these at home take this one with you today Can I? They pro- you. I don't know they probably won't. swap it for a well payment. now now I'm in the living end um yep you know we we sort of we'll, we'll share Oh, yeah, no, sticky joystick. That was too. Smashing it.
1: Mm. Oh, you got the proton pill. What's that? What's when you have a little pill and it makes you do amazing things? Is it? Yeah. Okay. you
0: had any of those yourself? (laughs) Not recently, (laughs) no. No. Have you gone with the... Okay. I mean, have you... When you're... Oh, I think we won. When you're not on the road and not exposed to... A rider all that stuff you know have you managed to because that's another one i found with a lot of museum mate staying off the gas mm. uh, with nothing to do very has tricky.
1: also yeah very tricky particularly when you're as thirsty as i am yeah um discipline way too easy during this whole lockdown yeah as we all know ah you know might as well and it's just it's it's a trap and i you know i'm not going to get into it too much but i've definitely had my problems with it and yeah um i've just recently started getting up every morning at 6:30 and going for a, a huge run and or else it just gets on top of you you just becomes you know a vicious cycle of yeah. of not exercising sitting around the house starting to drink too early so um yeah and it's, it's been great it just it sets me up for the whole day, you know, everything they say about, you know, the exercise is just, it's uh, physically, we all know about that, but but the mental side of it is just enormous. So, I come home from a run just with a coffee on my mind, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, got to have not a coffee. Can of coffee, got to go the extra K so I can get that coffee and it drives yeah. me. But then I get home and I'm, and I'm high for the rest of the day.
0: There is so much more in that little tip and, and for what it's worth, every, every conversation we have, none of us are necessarily experts and we know there is no one size fits all. What the conversations around, I'm one guy, this is what I did, this is how it helped me. If you're struggling, maybe it'll help you. That's, that's the rhetoric around what we're talking about. But the, that thing around routine and exercise are massive, mm. right? They're really simple mm. and simple concepts. Mm. You know, and particularly with the work we're doing with the Dad Bob Project, really, that's what it's about. And how, like you say, it sets you up for a day. Yeah. Give yourself a sense of structure, a sense of responsibility, a sense of achievement. That's even right. Even a little one. That's right. Because, you know, it's you versus yourself in the morning and you, you win that first little victory.
1: Yeah, and the <clears> discipline <throat> becomes the reward. You know, yeah. at first you kind of go, oh, can't be bother going? Or, yeah. you know, or you go for a run and you go, oh I'll, just do, oh, I'll just go half the way today. I mean, that's fine to do as well. But it's when you, you, it's when you push yourself and you make that sacrifice that you think you can't live without not having that drink or you can't live without not doing that. But if you do, the reward that you get because of that you know, far outweighs it. So it's just you know, you've got to kind of give yourself a bit of a nudge to, to get out there and do it, I, yeah. I, I find. And then, as you say, once you get into the routine of it, once you stop, my God, how hard is it when you, like, you don't run for a couple of weeks or something? You, you feel like you're back to the beginning, but yeah.
0: that's okay. And you're back to the beginning for a shorter space than you think you're going to be. Yes. You know, sometimes it's days, it might even be a week or two. If you've had a long layoff, by week three things are a lot easier if you've got to get through that.
1: Yeah, through that and uh, look, for me, just not doing gigs, because when we do a, a show it's like, you know, it's like a physical endurance yeah. test. Um, yeah. so to not have that you know, you've got to, got to find something else to do yeah. rather than just yeah, run into the fridge
0: yes, yeah the discipline is the reward is a good name for an album and now I'm in the living end maybe that's what we'll call the next record Chris Cheney, thank
1: you for hanging out on All Fun Games no worries, thank you thank you for reminding me what a terrible Pac-Man player I am I'm going have to go back to Club Yarrawonga
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll book your gig there
1: alright, yeah, okay. good, thank you